coffee and grab a seat, and we're going to get started. All right, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this time. I just thank you for your Holy Spirit. We just pray just an anointing upon Merle as he speaks this morning, Father. We just pray your Holy Spirit's just grace and anointing and favor will be upon him, Father. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and get right into it here this morning. Uh, we have a bunch of scriptures to go through. So this is a continuation of the filled life with the Holy Spirit that we're doing here in October. It's probably going to extend a little bit into November as well, uh, just through the transition service. And then when Kevin Kazemi is coming uh, on November 10th and probably end up on November 17th. Yeah, it's going to be some, some good weeks ahead of us. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. Today I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk, well, I want to highlight what Jesus talks about prayer. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit and how uh, we can be filled to overflow and that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, the portion that God has for us. So let's start off today. Thank you, David, for praying for me. I appreciate that because I need it. Amen. Anyone else need prayer? Yeah, come on. Amen. All right. So the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit uh, for uh, those of us, maybe some might be sitting here who don't know, the Holy Spirit is part of God. He is God. He is the tr part of the Trinity. One third of the Godhead is who the Holy Spirit is. The Bible uh, uses the term Holy Spirit and Spirit of God interchangeably. So we have God the Father sitting in heaven on the throne. We have Jesus, who is God the Son, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and for me. And we have God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, here in the earth today, giving us the wisdom, the words of God, uh, leading us, guiding us. As the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so that's part of who the Holy Spirit is. The Bible says this in John 16, verses 7 to 11. Ah, helps if it's on. There we go. John 16, verses 7 to 11. Hey, there we go. Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So part of what the Holy Spirit does, as the Holy Spirit come and, comes and works in the earth and works with us, is he convicts the world of sin, what is right and what is wrong. And he convicts also of righteousness. So that's where there is a conviction of the righteousness of God inside of you because you have given your life to Christ. Where you can say, hey, yes, we are righteous because we're following Jesus. That's from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, and then he also conv uh, convicts the world of judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, and the demonic forces of this world have already been judged and condemned. Okay, And Jesus says this, it's an amazing thing, Jesus says, it is to your advantage. So here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the, the very uh, manifest presence of God in the earth at that time, the, the uh, fullness of the image of the Godhead being present right there, and he says, listen, it is to your advantage that I be taken up to heaven, that I go away, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Helper to you. Wow, that's a powerful statement. I mean, imagine if Jesus was still in the earth today. Imagine if Jesus was still physically manifest in the earth today. We know he's here by the Holy Spirit, but imagine if he was walking around as a man today. I mean, I'm sure different, you know, news media outlets and all that would have, you know, all kinds of things to say, but, you know, being the standard of righteousness in the earth, just day after day, uh, you know, almost, almost as constant as Trump's Twitter account, you know, just like... You know, just like constantly just, you know, being this, but being the standard of righteousness, you know, just in the, in the earth of like, hey, this is, this is God's will for this. This is God. And we could have that. Imagine what that would be like. And Jesus says, it's actually better. What's better is that I go and send you the Holy Spirit. 
Wow. Wow. That is amazing. I don't know. That just stuns me there. The Holy Spirit is the seal. The Bible says that he is the seal of the, our inheritance in the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So that word uh, guarantee there is literally means like it's, it's a down payment or an earnest money. Anyone ever buy a house and when you make an offer, you have to give earnest money. You have to give like a, a sizable chunk of it. You have to write out a check and say, hey, like I want to give a sizable chunk towards this house to show the seller that I'm serious. That's what, that's what earnest money does, right? And that's actually what that word guarantee there, that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it later on. So the Holy Spirit is God saying, hey, I am serious about this. Hey, this is a portion for you. This is, this is proof. This is a receipt that you are, not only are you saved, but you have an inheritance in God, in Christ. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 to 22, it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us, and given us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There, that word again, guarantee, earnest money, is what it means. That guarantee, it's a, it's a receipt. So the Holy Spirit is kind of like, it's a stamp of, boom, proof, you are saved. Boom, you have an inheritance. You have a destiny in God, the Holy Spirit in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I'm giving, just throwing a bunch of these scriptures at you here. All right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to 32, it says, Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths, but only such thing as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So you have the seal, the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation for each person, for each one of us. But the Bible here says, don't offend him, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And how do, we, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? It's by what we allow to come out of our mouths. It's by what we allow to come out of our mouths. How it's, you know, what, what it says here in Ephesians, you know, it's, it's slander, corrupt speaking, all of these things that what we allow to come out of our mouths is what can grieve the Holy Spirit. All right, the Bible tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, do not be drunk, Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. I had to look up what debauchery meant, you know. Uh, it means lewdness and all of those. It says, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there, there is a command. And that word filled there, it means filled to capacity. Filled to the point of no need left. Filled to the point where it begins to bubble over. That's God's will for you and I, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what's going on in your day. It doesn't matter what's going on in your week. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over again. Whenever God wants to do something in the earth, God begins, whenever he, he's going to do something new or start a new initiative almost, and, and even though everything he has done is linked you know, to eternity in the past, when God's going to do something new, we see that his spirit begins to hover over it. Just like in Genesis chapter 1, where the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. That word hovering means brooding, 
like a mother hen is brooding over, about ready to hatch something, you know? A mother hen is brooding over her chicks, and she's brooding over it. She's hovering over it the same way as the start of the church. So in creation and the start of the church in, the, in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit begins to brood over the, the believers, they were already saved. They were already followers of Jesus. But Jesus says, listen, it is important that you go and wait to be filled. Wait for the gift of the Father. Wait to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and so they're there and they're in one accord in Acts chapter 2. And what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to brood over them. The sound of the mighty rushing wind comes and flames of fire start to appear on their heads and they start to speak in other tongues. And the testimony of Jesus is heard in many different languages and tongues of men and tongues of angels the Bible talks about. How the Holy Spirit moved upon them and we see the birth of the church out of Acts chapter 2. I just want to encourage you and I to continue to let the Holy Spirit hover over us. Let the Holy Spirit brood over us. Take time for the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to brood over you. Take time to allow the Holy... That's, that's one, of the, one, of the, um, one of the joys of having like a Sabbath, having a time of, of rest, having a time. It's not, it's not just to go and do fun things, but it's to allow the Holy Spirit to brood over, Father, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. I just come and I open my heart and I open my life to you and I just let you move, let you work in me. Fill me up, God. You know, and that's the Holy Spirit. When, if, if we want God to move in our lives, if we want God to move in our families, we have got to create space for the Holy Spirit just to come and wash us, bring conviction and bring righteousness in our lives and in our hearts. It takes time. Tell your neighbor, say, it takes time. All right. Ephesians, uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, may the God of hope, this is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Those of you who know me know that what, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. It says, uh, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You see, in the world today that we live in, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to abound in hope. Did you ever meet somebody who they're just so positive all the time, they're almost annoying? <laughs> you know, like there's always a solution. Well, I don't know. The cat died. Well, there's always a solution. You know, like, you know, there's this, you know, they're, they're just, they're annoyingly positive, all right? There's, but that's kind of a picture of what it means to abound, to overflow with hope, saying, hey, there's never a lost cause. There's never a loss. Uh, we're never at a loss for what God has for us. John chapter 7, verse 38, it says this. It says, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, and he who believes in me. You see, there, we're, we're to have this bubbling up uh, experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what it means when we're abounding in hope. We're, we're bubbling forth in joy. We're bu bubbling forth out of the life and the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It says, he who believes in me, John 7 verse 38, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Sounds like we're having a river hitting our roof. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's what God's heart is for you and for me, is that the living water of God would flow out of our hearts. So let's look at this scripture because we are called to be reservoirs. We're called to be artesian wells. When we were praying, I said uh, Venetian wells, <laughs> the wells of Venice. No, you know, like, <laughs> no, it's... We're, we're called to be kind of that picture of like our artesian well. The water just bubbles up out of our hearts as believers. Where every, every place we go, we kind of spread just the presence, the oozing presence of the Lord. And just the confidence and the grace and the peace that accompanies the Holy Spirit. You and I. So Jesus says this. says, he who believes in me. First, we got to be believers. We have to be believers. We have to set our heart. We have to choose because belief is a choice. Belief has nothing to do with being convinced. Many times say, well, people will say, oh, I, you know, I'm just not going to believe until I'm convinced. Well, I get that. I understand that. But at some point, you choose to believe 
the proof that has been offered to you. And some people believe sooner, some people believe later. But at some point, it's about a choice that you make. It's about a choice of saying, I have decided to believe in Christ. So we have to be believers. I think Bill Johnson says this, says if the problem in the church is not, is not unbelievers. It's unbelieving believers. As believers, we need to actually make sure that we are believers. Do we doubt everything that, that comes to us? Do, you know, is our first response out of our hearts when we hear something about what God's doing or hear something that, that God has blessed somebody with? Or, and, and, and what is our first response? Are we believers or are we doubters first? I'm not saying that we check our brains at the door and we become, you know, gullible. But what is the response of our heart? We need to be believers. Tell your neighbor, say, be a believer. And then I saw her face. No, just kidding. Some of you got that. <laughs> All right. Believe in his power. Believe in God's power to save. Believe in God's power to guide. Believe in his will to partner. Sometimes we're, we're more, we believe more in our doubt and our fears than we do in our faith in God's provision in our lives. Our first response of our heart is in more of alignment with doubt and fear and worry than it is with faith and believing and saying, God's got this. I don't understand. I maybe don't see the solution, but God has got this. Yeah? So Jesus said, he who believes in me. We have to be believers. We have to be believing in his power to heal, believing in his ever-abiding presence. You are never alone. No matter what you feel like, you are never alone. His presence is with you and I all the time. John chapter 20, verse 27 says this, And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand in the place in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Right? We called Thomas doubting Thomas, but all he wanted was like real proof, like, Y'all said Jesus is alive. <laughs> I, I, I got to see it for myself. I got to see it to believe it. Yeah? And the interesting thing is, is Jesus doesn't get down on him for that. So when you're hearing me, I'm not, don't, don't, and you, you have a tendency to, because to, uh, I know this is true about me. You know, you have a tendency to always go negative, you know. Jesus doesn't put Thomas on blast here. He doesn't, like, make him feel guilty or bad. He just says, hey, he actually gives him what he needs. He's like, here's, here's my hands. Here's my side. Put your hand in. No, feel it. Touch me. Handle me. He gives him what he needs. And then he says, hey, don't be disbelieving, but be believing. He doesn't come down hard on him. I think history, <clears throat> church history has come down hard on Thomas. But <clears throat> Jesus, Thomas, he knew what Jesus was capable of. He spent three years seeing Jesus do all of the miracles, but he did not want to believe other people's testimonies that Jesus was alive. He wanted firsthand information, and Jesus gave it to him, all right? But then he tells him, he says, hey, check your heart. Are you still a believer? Do you still believe in me? All right? Jesus, it goes, <clears throat> then he who believes in me as the scripture has said. That's a really important phrase there. Can you just tell your neighbor, say, as the scripture has said? You see, Jesus relies on scripture, giving it place of prominence as speaking God's words. Jesus relies on scripture, giving it a place of prominence as speaking God's words. Jesus was anchored in the word of God. And if Jesus was anchored in the word of God, then you and I need to be anchored in the word of God also. There's a movement in church today. And when I say church, I don't mean here, but out, you know, in, in uh, the church in the world, um, universally, there's a movement that says, oh, I'm only going to focus on the red letters. I'm only going to focus on the words that Jesus actually said. And some of those Old Testament prophets and some of the other things that Peter says and that Paul says, I'm not going to, you know, we, that was man's interpretation of what Jesus was saying. No, 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 that wasn't man. That's the scripture where Jesus, if Jesus relies on the scripture and Jesus never comes against the scripture, 
and Jesus is anchored in the word of God, then how much more? Jesus gives it prominence. He gives it prominence as God's word being spoken to you and I as to mankind. So we have no authority to disregard it just because we don't like it. Jesus gives it prominence. So as the scripture has said, Jesus never rebuffed the scriptures. Instead, he affirms them by using them and by quoting them. We need to anchor ourselves in God's word. Psalms 119 verse 11 says this. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That doesn't mean that there's not hard scriptures to understand in the Bible. There are. There are scriptures that are difficult to understand and comprehend and say, how does this apply to our lives today? And that's okay to wrestle with it. That's all right. But listen, we must still uphold the value of scripture in our lives because Jesus did. So don't just believe what Jesus said, do what Jesus did. That's the point of the New Testament. Heal the sick, right? Cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have been given the gospel of the kingdom. Freely you've given the kingdom, give it to others. That, we're not just supposed to believe what Jesus said, we're supposed to do what Jesus did, and Jesus anchored his life on the basis of scripture. Amen? Out of his heart, we go back to John when we are believing and we're, we're anchored in Scripture, oops, sorry, wrong way. Man, all right. When we are believing, he who believes in me, as a Scripture has said, and we're anchored in Scripture, then out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I don't know about you, but I long for that. I desire that. Jesus relies on Scripture, giving it a place of prominence, and then out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Man, you were made, tell your neighbor, say, you were made to have living water flow out of you. The apex of Christian experience is not to gather here on a Sunday morning. The apex of Christian experience is to, to have the living Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, flowing out of us and impacting other people. It's more blessed to give to, than receive, right? It's, it's, it's this thing of like, wow, God is flowing through me to others, whether it's in loving somebody, whether it's in encouraging somebody, whether it's in helping the poor, helping the need, whatever it is, that is the apex of Christian experience is we get to see God at work, not just for us, but through us. A well-known uh, preacher says this, says, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon me for you, but he is in me for me right? So the Holy Spirit comes upon you for other people, for those who are around you. But we're talking about rivers of living water flowing out of our heart, but he is in us for us. We are to benefit from that as well. All right? Tell your neighbor, say it's a river. It's not a quiet, peaceful pond. It's not a trickle or a tinkle, okay? It's a river. We are made for the river of God to flow through us, I don't know about you, but this is what I crave. This is what I desire. You know, we don't want to become like a church that used to be flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then over time becomes more and more quiet and more and more passive. We have to stir up the gifts of God inside of our hearts. We need to hope. We need to dream with God. Tell your neighbor, say, dream with God. I'm getting you to preach with me this morning. Thank you. But it's going to take perseverance. The Bible says that we are to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and desire, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. You see, when we are believing in Christ and we're anchored in the word of God, there's something else for us to do as believers. And it's not about faith. You know, I'm not saying salvation by works or anything like that. But there's a task for you and I to do as believers. And it is to pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We have to, be, we have to hope for it. We have to dream for it. We have to stretch out our faith for it to see the Holy Spirit manifest in our life, to see God work through us. We need to pursue and earnestly desire, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Jesus goes on, and he, 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 he uh, I love this scripture. By the way, Sheree and I both, we, we both uh, gave input into this message. We take some time sometimes to get away together, and we just say, hey, what, what's God saying to you? And, and I, you know, 
this is what God's saying to me, and we, we make notes. And so this message was kind of developed out of one of those times. It's in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he goes on. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. <laughs> In the West, we would say, don't make your crisis my problem. A friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him within, don't bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up, uh, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Yet because of his impotence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus is, set, is talking here, he's, ta he's teaching about prayer, right? That was, that was where this all came out of, where the disciples say, hey, teach us to pray. And so Jesus, he goes, and, and, and it's a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer, which we know in Matthew and other places, but, but then he starts to talk about the posture of prayer. And he says, listen, I, I want to I I tell you a story that communicates the heart that you have to have when you're praying. And he says, and he goes on and, and, and tells this, begins to tell this story. Now, I like what the Amplified Bible says here in Luke chapter 11, verse 8. It says, I tell you, although he will not get up and supply him anything, because he is a friend, yet because of his shameless persistence and insistence, he will get up. And give him as much as he needs. Wow. We're going to camp here for a little bit. All right? Going on then. And I tell you, ask. This is Jesus still speaking. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Wow. Man, Jesus is teaching the posture of prayer here. All right, man, you know, I'll... if somebody came to me at 3 a.m. or at 12 a.m. and said, hey, I need three loaves of bread, I'd probably be like, your inability to plan and prepare does not constitute an emergency upon my part, right? That's, you know, our good Western way of thinking, right? Individualism. You know, the, the mentality of God helps those who help themselves kind of thing. I want to point out something here. Where Jesus says, though he will not give him it because he is a friend, but because of his shameless persistence and insistence, answered prayer in inconvenient times does not come because of relationship. Let me say that again. Answered prayer in inconvenient times does not come because of relationship. It comes because of persistence. See, the devil will try and get you to convince that it's because of relationship. That you prayed once and it didn't happen and so there must be something wrong with you. Or there must be something wrong with your relationship with God. And he'll sing you that tune all day long until you just give up and stop asking. So you give up and stop being persistent. 
Say, oh, something's wrong with your relationship. Some, God doesn't love you. you. Oh, you must have fallen away from grace. You must have, you know, God's not answering your prayers. No, the, that, Jesus says here that though he will not get up and give it to him because he is a friend, because of relationship, yet because of persistence, his shameless persistence and insistence. And listen, there's a place here in our lives where we have to get past ourselves. Wow, that's really small. I apologize for that. We have to get past ourselves. Stop thinking what's wrong with me. Stop thinking the devil doesn't, that God doesn't love you. The devil wants you to think that. There's, stop thinking there's something wrong with you, that God doesn't have this thing for you. God doesn't want you healed, or God doesn't want you, you know, uh, successful, or God doesn't want you uh, filled up and whole emotionally. Stop thinking that way. Stop thinking that God doesn't hear you. Stop thinking that there's something wrong with your relationship with God. Now, if there is something wrong, the Holy Spirit has convicted you of sin, yes, you repent. But as soon as you repent, it's dealt with. It's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. So don't let it linger in ongoing lingering of like, oh, I just, you know, maybe I just blew it once and for all this time. And maybe Jesus' blood wasn't enough. The devil would love for us to believe that Jesus' blood was not enough. But we have got to start being shamelessly persistent with God. You see, our mentality, I think maybe especially here in Lancaster County, tends to be this mentality of like, well, well, I asked once. You know, if God's sovereign, he can do it. Maybe I asked twice and, well, it didn't happen. So I guess it's not God's will for me. And actually what begins to happen is we take offense in our heart that God didn't do it for us. And we wind up holding offense against God because, God, we know you're sovereign. Why didn't you do it? And that's a very hard question. Why didn't you do what you said, what I wanted you to do? It's like a one time there was a, a husband and wife who were having marriage problems and you know, they come to the pastor and they, they tell about their marriage problems and, and the wife is like, I just, I just, I don't know if he loves me anymore. And the, the man was like, well, I told, I told you once I loved you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> you know? And sometimes we can be that way with God. Like, well, we prayed once and... There you go. You know, you're sovereign. Listen to what Jesus, you know, think, think about this. Um, God loves to be pressed upon. There's, this, there's a, a Bible verse that says that the kingdom of God suffers violence. So it means it allows violence toward, against itself. Mean, uh, another translation says it allows itself to be pressed into and the violent take it by force. God loves people who don't get offended but continue to press into him. Continuing to knock. Continuing to push. Think about Mary, Jesus' mother, at the wedding of Cana where they run out of wine. We know the story, right? They run out of wine. And, and Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they ran out of wine. And he's like, what, what does that have to do with me? And then she turns around to the servant and says, do whatever he tells you. You know? And he says, it's not yet my time. Listen, there's something in the heart of God that if it was planned in the future, if, if, it, was, if it is part of God's will in the future, God will allow it to be pushed into in our lives today. This is why David could stand and say, uh, um, this is why David could, could come and say, God created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he repents of his sin back in the Old Testament. It says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired. But in the Old Covenant, that's how you got your sins forgiven. You see, because God had it in the New Covenant for us, David was able to push into what we have today, 
and say, listen, God, you don't desire me to sacrifice an ox. What you desire is my heart of repentance to come before you. And that's how we get repentance in the new covenant. Do you understand that? He was a, that's why we say that David was a man before his time. There are certain things in the kingdom of God that even just like Jesus at the wedding of Canaan, where he says, it's not yet time, it's not my time yet, but because of persistence, if God has it in the future, you can push into it today. Let me show you some more examples of Jesus talking about this. Jesus tells a story of the persistent widow, Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect, God, respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and then will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? He will delay long, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The context here of him of finding faith on earth is the persistent widow. Give me justice, God. Give me justice. God, I'm going to remind you over and over and over and over and over again of your words that you said to me, the promises you spoke over my life, the promises you spoke over my family. I'm going to remind you again. I'm going to remind you again, God. I'm going to knock. I'm going to knock. I'm going to knock. Jesus calls that faith. That's the context of faith here. And, I'm, and, and we'll get to, to some of the challenging parts here soon. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see, God wants to find faith. He wants to find persistence. All of this describes the posture of persistence with which we are to position ourselves in prayer. The Jews call it chutzpah. You know, have you ever used that word or heard that word used? Chutzpah. It's like grit. It says, I'm not, God, I'm not going to be offended by what I don't see. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to keep asking. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And he came and he did not answer her a word. Well, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I hear about on college campuses. It looks amazingly like me. We idolize our own ideas of what Jesus is sometimes. She's crying out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Ouch. I've heard it said, you know what that says in Greek? Dog. Jesus calls, by inference, the Canaanite woman a dog. Imagine if she was easily offended. Lord, help me. And he answered, I did not 
It is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fell from their master's table. That's chutzpah. That's chutzpah. Where, like, I'm not going to let go of this. Joseph, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I don't care if it's not the time. I don't care if, if I don't see it right or understand it right. God, I am pounding on the gates of heaven in prayer for you to move in my life. We become desperate. The interesting thing here is when she says this, says, then Jesus answered her. I mean, Jesus is holding her off, holding her off, holding her off, holding her at arm's length, holding her at arm's length. No, I don't, don't give it to the dogs. No, nope, no, nope. you know, I'm, I'm not even going to answer her. No, nope. holding her at arm's length. And all of a sudden, because of her persistence and her grit and her chutzpah, that she just got on, you have the ability to make a change and affect my life. God, I am here and I am not going away. I am not going away. I don't care. Offend me. Do whatever you need to do to me. But I am not going away. That's the kind of grit that she had. And all of a sudden, Jesus melts. Jesus melts. Look at his response. He says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Where he goes from being arm's length and almost offending her, says, he just melts. This woman's faith. It wasn't the time yet for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God. It didn't matter because the Gentiles were coming. And this woman, because of her persistence, transitions, goes beyond time. He says, be it done to you as you have desired. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Amplified Bible says that she was wearing out the disciples. That, that, that's why the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, you better do something with this woman because otherwise we are going to, you know, like, come on, make a decision here. <laughs> her persistence this is what Jesus, this is Jesus teaching on prayer. I don't know what books, I mean, there's great books out there that teach on prayer. But you see, the Bible says that blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of God. And I've hung around a lot of poor people. And you know what's interesting about poor people? Is they know how to be desperate. They know how to be desperate. They know how to recognize this is my chance. If it's not for you, God, we're done. There's a desperation that comes. And see, Jesus looks at this, and faith looks like desperation. See, in, in the, sometimes I think we're just too proud to become desperate. Sometimes I think we're just too proud to become desperate. So, oh, I, I, I don't know. I ask, you know, about this or about that, and God does not despise a broken heart. Faith looks like desperation. The poor in spirit, they understand desperation. This is pursuit. This is pursuit. Earnestly desire love but pursue spiritual gifts. Become desperate for the Holy Spirit to move in and through our lives. Where we say, God, I'm, I, I refuse to be comfortable anymore. I refuse to be comfortable anymore. Jesus, when he's teaching on prayer, he's talking about faith. And, and some, somehow, I think sometimes in our faith teaching, faith is not the intellectual denial of reality. Hear me say this. Faith is not the intellectual denial of reality. You know, you have snot running out of your nose and your eyes are all, I'm not sick. <laughs> no, you're sick. You need healing. Right? It's, it's not like the denial of reality. It's the, the persistence 
to say, it's the desperation to say, God, I need you to heal me. I need your touch. I need your touch. I'm going to humble myself and say, God, I need you. I don't care who sees it. I don't care who knows it. God, I'm desperate. It's the humility of faith. The humility of faith. Pursuit is not based on a, on a principle. It's based on a relationship with Jesus. True faith is humility that says, I don't have what I need. And you, God, have the authority to shift this thing in my life. I don't have what I need, but God, you do. You have what I need. And I don't know how to shift this thing in my life. And I'm going to keep on asking. I'm going to keep on pursuing. And maybe that prayer doesn't get answered. Because that's, that's the thing. Not every prayer gets answered. We, we, don't, we never have God under our thumb to make him do what we desire. You see, what we're to be asking for is his kingdom to come. His will to be done. That's what Jesus teaches us to pray. And it's really easy to say, well, God, you want me, like, happy. So I'm asking for this thing to make me happy. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, pray that my kingdom comes. Pray that my will is done. Seek first the kingdom. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom. Right? And then all these other things will be added. There's this thing where we're passionately pursuing him, passionately pursuing God. Faith is a pursuit, and it's not giving up. And you know what? You know what? If, if faith is measured more by persistence than knowledge, that makes, that makes me really happy. Because I might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, right? I might not be the most wisdom, the most wise person with all of biblical knowledge and all of that. But you know what? Faith, uh, answered prayer and faith isn't dependent upon that. Yes, it's good. We need to study to show ourselves a proof. But Listen, if persistence is the key, I think, you know what? I think this is why we see God move through imperfect people. Even imperfect speakers and ministers and pastors and leaders, and you, you find out that they were in an affair, and yet God was still moving in their meetings. And you're like, how does that happen? The reason is because maybe they knew how to pray in persistence. God wants character, but he blesses persistence. God wants character, but he responds to faith. Now, the condition of that person's soul, howbeit, is... But it doesn't mean that God didn't come on that person and see miracles happen in a meeting for the sake of people. You understand that? God wants character. I'm not, I'm not in any way saying that, you know, sacrifice character. But I'm saying that it's not, it's not based on relationship. It's not based on character, always. Answer prayer isn't always based on character. It's based on persistence. It's based on the ability to humble yourself and to go before God and to cry out and to keep on knocking. And God, we're pursuing you. We're pursuing you, God. God, we want to move in Lancaster County. We want you to move in our lives. We need you to move in our schools. We need you to move in our families. God, we are passionately pursuing you, and we will not give up until we see your kingdom start to come and move and flow through our lives. Amen? All right, let's, let's finish up here. Worship team, you can come up. So now that we know how to be persistent, what does the Bible say we need to be persistent about? Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you, right? The things that the Gentiles long for. James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel, and you do not have because you do not ask. Remember, ask isn't just ask once. Ask is persistence. And, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You see, God's heart is for the kingdom of God. We need to be pursuing the kingdom in prayer. We need to be pursuing God to give his Holy Spirit. Lord, I need more of your Holy Spirit. I need a deeper measure. I need to connect more with you, God. Amen. 
having this passionate heart of pursuit, that's what the Holy Spirit begins to, to use in our lives. Saying, God, I don't know how to shift this thing, but you do. And I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. And, it, and, and to get to the point where we're unoffendable about it, saying, God, I don't care who sees me. You know what God told me last week? He said, you are, you are very uh, close. Um, you are in danger of getting the glory for this transition going well. I said, God. by his grace. And I mean, Alan's right next to Jesus, you know. But <laughs> it's by the grace of God that we're even breathing. And sometimes it's easy to forget that in middle class, well-to-do America. And that's okay. I mean, it's okay to be middle class and well-to-do. It's not okay to forget. <laughs> you get that? The key is knowing how to make yourself desperate. Can you flip a switch in your heart and become desperate for his presence? There's a lot of things you can do without him, but none of it's worth it. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Can we stand? I know we went a lot of different directions. But my heart is that you hear the cry on God's heart that you and I would be filled. That you and I would be filled. If things aren't right between you and God, hey, take a moment and get it right. It's, it's, it's not that hard to get it right between you and God. But I want to invite you into a persistent walk and in a persistent insistent, shameless pursuit of God's presence in your life. No shame, no guilt, but just saying, God, we need you. The reason we gather is because of you. The reason we pray is because of you. The reason we worship is because of you. The reason we gather together, the reason we reach out and go on mission trips, it's all because of you. reason we reach beyond our comfort zone and get out of our comfort zone and stretch our inner capacity to understand and receive more is because of you, God. Otherwise, if we were just living self-centered lives, we'd never stretch ourselves. We'd never sacrifice. We'd never take steps of sacrifice, God. Lord, it's because of you. Jesus, we come before you, God. And Lord, this, I ask that you would take my feeble words, God, and just impress on our hearts each person individually by the power of the Holy Spirit what it is that they need out of this word, God. And Father, if there's things that I've erred in, and, and Lord, just Holy Spirit, I just invite you to help make it right. But God, we need you. We need you in Newport Church. We need you in Lancaster. We need you in Pennsylvania. We need you in the United States. We need you in the earth, God. And we say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, God. God, it's not because of our righteous acts. It's not because of our ability to stay clean and pure. It's because of your heart to bless, God, that you respond to faith. And you are so good. You're so good. 
And God, we come and we humble ourselves before you, God. And we ask you to touch our lives. We ask you to fill us. To fill us up. Flood our hearts. Flood our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. Cause us to abound in hope. Help us be believing. In Jesus' name. Yes, thank you, Father. We're just going to enter time in uh, worship and ministry. So if you want to put us some songs here, but if you, you know, got something that has on your heart that you just really need prayer for, I just, just come up and we're going to have the prayer ministers come up. So if you could come up now, that'd be great. Um, and just, just spend the time just really seeking God and just, you know, look at your heart and just say, you know, God, am I desperate? Am I desperate for you? I don't have to have all these things, but I you need desperation. We need desperation for him, for things to change for new seasons to get into that new place and a deeper walk with him we need that desperation to get us there so just if you need some prayer if you need just some ministries please come forward Oh, 
does impossible is reaching out to make me whole reaching out to make me whole the one who put death in its place his life is flowing through my veins his life is flowing through my veins the one who made the blind to see he's moving here in front of me moving here in front of me the one who made the deaf to hear is silencing my every fear silencing my every fear I believe in you I believe in you you're the God of miracles I believe in you I believe in you you're the God of You're the God of